healthy, put a lot of time in and, and lead us to the Lord in worship. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm so very thankful that y'all chose to come here and be with us today. Whether this is your home church or whether you're here for the first time, like Craig said, or maybe you're just in from out of town visiting family, whatever the case might be, we're, we're really glad that you're here with us. We're glad to be able to celebrate what really is the most significant event in all of human history, the coming of God to earth with an express purpose. And, and it's wonderful to sing the songs about all that. We have, for the last couple of weeks, been in a series, and the series has been called The Eternal Purpose of Christmas. In the last couple of weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, as you might imagine, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and going through some of the stories that we're familiar with, and really looking at the much bigger picture that Christmas really is. It's more than just certainly a holiday. It's more than just a time to give gifts to one another. It's, it's actually even more than just the Savior coming to earth to forgive us of our sins. And you think, wow, that's a pretty big thing. Yes, it is, but it actually is a very critically important piece of an even bigger picture, and that is when Jesus Christ came to earth, God in human flesh, the Bible calls that an advent. And anytime there's an advent, well, that is the culmination. It's the marking of the events of God ultimately preparing the world to set up his eternal kingdom to reign not over the earth only but over the entire universe and so we've been digging into the scriptures the last couple of weeks and we've been looking at a lot of prophecy and and we've been seeing a lot of things and if you weren't with us you can check online and get some of that if you like to but uh, all of these things were set up and all of these things could have happened when Jesus Christ came the first time well the skeptic says well it hasn't it hasn't happened yet, and people like you talk about all the time how it could come, and it could come soon. Yeah, I understand that, but don't forget he's coming back again. And when he does, he'll finish the job, no question about it. Because the setting up of his kingdom is ultimately in righteousness. Well, that can't happen until he comes back again and, well, judges the world of unrighteousness, which is what he will do. But what I want us to consider today, this Sunday, December 22nd, the day that we are celebrating Christmas Day and that classic event is, well, what does that, what does that mean to me today? We saw God's eternal purpose for Christmas, but what's God's purpose for my life? God's purpose for your life is the title I gave to today's message. We will be in Luke chapter 2 again, the later part of that chapter. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at three different specific responses of three different people or groups of people uh, to the story of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. But before we get into the details of the verses I want to read together, let me just kind of help you by setting the scene. So Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. We know that. The angel makes the announcement to the shepherds in the field. We sang about that. That's actually earlier in chapter 2, around verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, they make the announcement that the Savior of the world has been born. Then we have the heavenly host that appears in the sky, and they're praising God, and they're saying in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Often quoted at Christmas time, this is the announcement, the angelic host singing, praising. And when the shepherds get this message, 
they set out for Jerusalem. They set out, and they're going to see ultimately Bethlehem, to see for themselves this child. They want to see this miracle. And when they saw the Christ child, in verse number 20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. As it was told unto them earlier in the chapter and all of the promises and all the prophecies and all of the things that ultimately were to come to pass with the arrival of this baby boy. Now, according to the Old Testament law and Jewish custom, on the eighth day of his new life, Jesus Christ was circumcised according to the law of Moses. Once Mary completed the days of her purification, which is required by the law, after childbirth, they took Jesus to the temple to offer the required sacrifice and to pre present him to the Lord. We see that in verse 22. Now, the baby Jesus is in the temple, and there he is seen by two specific individuals that we'll look at together here in just a second. And it is the reaction of these two that we're going to start looking at. And eventually, what does that all mean to us today? Let me just pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, I do pray that as we look at this last part of chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke, and the presentation of Jesus in the temple and the reaction of various people when they recognize who he is, when they meet him officially for the first time. I pray, Lord, that these responses recorded in your holy word, inspired by your Holy Spirit, preserved forever to, for us to have a copy, would speak to our hearts. That wherever we find ourselves today, in whichever category we find ourselves today, that we would find ourselves responding the way that your spirit would lead us to respond. Thank you, Lord, for coming and doing these things for us. May our lives reflect that thanksgiving. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first person we're going to meet is a man named Simeon, and we're just going to say Simeon is the guy who met the Savior, and that's from verses 25 to 35. You can follow along as I read. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon is an elderly gentleman. He's a just and a devout man. And the Bible says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
Literally what that means is, is that he's waiting for and anticipated the fulfillment of the prophecies. He was waiting for the fulfillment and the culmination of all the things that I previously mentioned and if you've been with us the last two weeks we've previously studied. You see, he understood those things that we studied in the last couple of weeks. And he was looking for and expecting God to do something very significant and very soon. So who is Simeon? Well, he's religious. He's moral, right? He's just, he's devout, he's moral, he's religious. And one day the Lord spoke to him, the Bible says through the Holy Ghost, that he would with his own eyes see the one who would come to be that very fulfillment, that very consolation. In fact, he called him the Lord's Christ. That's actually important that he called him the Lord's Christ because a careful student of the Bible will recognize there are other Christs, but only one of them is the Lord's Christ. There's going to be an anti that shows up at the end times, right? But can you imagine the excitement of Simeon that day? Faithfully in the temple, doing what he did, praying, and then finally the day comes. He's going through his routine. He goes into the temple one more day, but this time, something's different. This time, he's actually going to meet Jesus Christ personally for the first time in his life. And he understood the significance of that. Because when he did, he immediately recognized who he was. It says in verse 28 that he blessed God and said, basically, okay, Lord, thank you. I, I can die now. Because you promised me that I would see your salvation. And now I have seen him. Now I can pass. You know what he recognized? He recognized that Jesus Christ literally, compare the, the verses of Scripture, is the salvation of God. That's who he is. That's what his name means. Jesus means Jehovah saves. That's what it means. And he saw the child and he recognized immediately who he actually was. And he also understood that such a salvation was not just solely limited to the nation of Israel, but to include all peoples, what it says in verse 31, that thou hast prepared before the face of all people, in verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Recognize that that term Gentiles, especially in the context of their society, it was a very negative thing. It referred to all of the unbelieving, foreign, pagan, godless people. And he recognized this child is to be the light unto these people, not just unto Israel. So let me ask you a question today. By any chance, do these circumstances kind of apply to you as well? Do they describe you in any way? I mean, maybe you've been to churches before. Maybe you've understood some things. Maybe, certainly, you're good people, you're moral people, you're religious people, you're in church on Christmas. 
but this time. This time it rings a little different to you. Today you recognize something that maybe you've never recognized before. Today you realize that this child literally is God's salvation. You recognize that he is the Savior of all people. He's the Savior of even the, excuse me for saying it this way, but the way it would have been perceived, the dirty, filthy Gentile people like me and like you. He recognized that. Maybe you recognize that today. And just as Simeon said to Mary in verse 34, Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now we know in the scriptures that the Jews require a sign and so there's a definitely a Jewish flavor in this story, but what exactly is that sign? Well, just go back to verse number 12. The sign is the babe will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. We looked at this last week that the sign is the swaddling clothes. Those are grave clothes. Those are strips of cloth wrapped and bound and wound around the body of somebody who's passed away. The sign is, is that this child has come to die. That's the sign. His death is necessary to save us from our sin. Do you understand that today? Listen to what the Bible says very clearly to all of us. That in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't need to reiterate simple English words that you all understand, but can I just emphasize a word or two as we go through this? All have sinned includes you. It includes me. It includes the nicest person you've ever met. It includes your saintly grandmother. It includes the most religious person you've ever known. It includes everybody. All have sinned and come short of the mark. Come short of God's glory. It goes on in Romans 6 and 23 to say that the wages of sin is death. And a lot of you understand this, but let me just again emphasize the word wage. A wage is, well, that's your income. That's your salary. That's the money you get when you go to work. That's your wage. Well, the reason you earn a wage is because you've done something to earn it. You've done your job, and at the end of two weeks or a month or whatever your pay period is, you receive the wage. You don't have to get down on your knees and beg for it. They owe it to you. You have earned it. Well, God is saying that what you have done is sin. And what you have earned, your wage, well, that's death. Death comes as a result of sin. That's why Jesus Christ is the only one who didn't have to die. He didn't have any sin. And look, all of us in this room today, we're old enough to understand that life has a cycle. Babies are born, they grow up, they live a number of years, and eventually physical life comes to an end. There is death. We understand that. It's a part of life. But that's not the death that the Lord's referring to in Romans 6.23. The death that he's referring to in Romans 6.23 is actually defined for us in the book of Revelation in chapter 21 and verse number 8. In Revelation 21.8, it talks about a second death 
And that second death is described as a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. You see, the wages of your spiritual sin is a spiritual death and an eternal separation from God in a literal, not a spiritual, but a literal lake that burns with fire and brimstone. We typically refer to that as hell, don't we? And you look at the list of people that are going to end up there. The fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Is that your crowd? Is that the crowd you want to hang with for eternity? You say, well, I don't do all that stuff. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know the bad stuff in the middle is really bad. Let's, let's look at the beginning. It says, but the fearful. Oh, and, uh, and all it takes is to be unbelieving. All it takes is to be unbelieving to be in that crowd. The wages of sin is that. You see, if the story ended here, this is very bad news. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has earned that end. Thankfully, the story doesn't end here. Romans 5 and verse 8 says very clearly that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet in that condition of sin, Christ died for us. He came as the Lord's salvation, the Lord's Christ, to offer to us a way that we don't have to end up like that. That's who he is. That's what he does. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. This is Christmas. We are accustomed to the tradition of exchanging gifts. And you buy gifts for people you care about. And you typically wrap them in wrapping paper. And you hand them the gift. Now, the gift is on the inside. And the packaging around it, well, that's just the packaging around it. In this case, the Lord says the real gift is eternal life. This is it. God has provided for us eternal life, and that life is, if you will, wrapped in the package of his son, Jesus Christ. You see how that works? So he that has the son also gets the life. But he that doesn't have the son, well, he doesn't get the life. And I don't know where you're at in your background. I don't know what understanding you've had in your life. I know that when I was a young man growing up, I didn't go to church. I wasn't raised in a church. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know the story. I heard the gospel for the very first time when I was a college student. And when I heard the gospel for the first time as a college student and I came across this truth, I sincerely and honestly would have asked the question, okay, I want to have the son. How do, how do I, how do I, I honestly had no idea what that meant. How do here, Jesus, where are you? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know how to do it. And you say, well, you're kind of slow. Well, okay, but I, I was honest. That was the truth. Listen, Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He did that, but just because he did that, that does not mean that the whole world automatically gets to go to heaven. You do understand that, don't you? You do understand when we read Revelation 21.8 that there's a whole list of people that aren't going right. There's something 
that has to qualify you to be in instead of out, right? Of course, the Bible's going to tell us what that is, and the same human author John writes in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So again, going back to our Christmas gift illustration, somebody extends their hand, they extend to you a gift, you have to personally and individually receive it as your own. You have to take it into your heart and life as your own. You say, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, by believing in his name. That's how it works. It's just that simple. The Lord did the work to secure for you the opportunity to receive the gift. But not everybody receives the gift. Some people blatantly reject the gift. Some people just put off receiving the gift and decide that they are too busy. Some people are okay with the story, but they don't actually receive it as their own. If you don't receive it as your own, it's not yours. And you're still in the previous category. So it's very simple, really. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 make it very clear. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. It doesn't say you might be saved if you're lucky. It says thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And it goes on in verse 13 of that chapter to say whosoever, you could write your name in there, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's just that simple. He did all the hard work. He offers to you a free gift. The question he's asking you today, friends, do you want it? Do you want it? He's not asking you if you come to church. He's not asking you if you're a good person. He's not asking you if you're a better neighbor than your neighbor is to you. He's not asking you those things. He's not asking if you give money to charity. He's not asking any of those things. He's asking if you want the gift of eternal life. He's not asking if your parents are Christians. He's not asking if you hang around with Christians. Each individual has to receive it for themselves. Go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 35, and it says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. You know the Bible calls the Word of God a sword, the sword of the Spirit, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Has the Word of God pierced your soul today? It goes on and it says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I think the Lord wants to reveal some of the thoughts of some of your hearts. Doesn't have to reveal it to me. It's between you and him. But you know what? If you are not currently at this very instant 100% certain that God forbid if your physical life ended today, you would have a home in heaven. If you're not sure of that, you can be. You can receive that gift right now. You don't even have to wait for me to quit talking. You can, you can just silently call out to the Lord on your own right now. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to give you the gift of eternal life. Repent of your sin now. We'll all pray together in a few minutes when I'm done. But listen, you, if you mean it, if I was you, I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't wait. Simeon, well, he met the Lord. 
You know what you can do today? You can meet the Lord personally for the first time. Personally. Let's go on to the next one. The next character is Anna. And Anna told others about Jesus. Let's continue in verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee into their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We're going to focus on Anna, who told others. She's a prophetess. A prophetess means simply that she's somebody who speaks truth to others. That's all it means. She's a mature woman. She's at least 84 years old. Some might think she might even be older. At least 84 years old. The Bible says she was of a great age. And the Bible tells us that the years of a man's life are three score and ten. That's 70. And if by reason of strength, four score. Well, she was more than four score. She was of great age. And once she became aware of the truth, of the coming of the Savior and the importance of it all, what did she do? She immediately couldn't keep it to herself. She immediately wanted to go and share the news of her coming with others. Notice in verse 38, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Hey, y'all, I found the answer. Hey, y'all, he's finally come. I've met him. I've seen him. Here he is. The Savior has come. You guys need to know. Hey, everybody needs to know. Anna's the evangelist. Anna's the one who's going out and telling people about what she understood about the Christ child. That's evangelism. And if you're here today and in the first part of this message, you'd say, I've already met Jesus Christ. I'm already saved. I know that I have eternal life. Are you an evangelist? Can you not contain the good news about Jesus Christ? Can you, do you have to go and tell people because this is so important? That's Anna. Can I remind you of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17? Therefore, if any man, that could be any of us, right? All of us, any of us. If any man be in Christ, if, if you are genuinely saved, the Bible says he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. We're not taking the time to talk about it today, but most certainly that means that you can't legitimately and genuinely meet the Savior and become a new creature and keep living like you used to live. You just can't do it. That's what it says. How do I know I'm saved? Well, how are you living? <laughs> and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, hallelujah, and hath given to us something, the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, y'all, us, the word of reconciliation. 
That's why it says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, the ambassadors, the evangelists, with the word of reconciliation, you can reconcile your sinful life with the life of a holy God because he bridged that gap. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. If you're here and you don't know that you're saved, be ye reconciled to God before it's too late. Why? Verse 21, For he hath made him, God the Father hath made God the Son, to be sin for us. Notice it does not say that he had him just pay for our sin. It doesn't say that he just carried our sin. It doesn't say that he just forgave our sin. Notice the gravity of what took place in that transaction. He made Jesus Christ to become sin. Who knew no sin of his own? Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to become the righteousness of God. And without him, you're not, nor am I, nor is anyone. We are not the righteousness of God. We're sinful. But in Christ, we become the righteous, the very righteousness of God. Have you already received him as your Savior? The Bible says you're a new creature in Christ. Would you go out and tell others about it? Would you go and... Let other people know Anna was at least 84 years old. What's your excuse? You see, I didn't stop her. She was so excited. She went and told everybody what she saw. She couldn't keep it to herself. If you are saved and you know it and you walk with the Lord and you're not in the midst of some sinful problem in your life and you're doing the best you can to know the Lord. Can I just encourage you to be like Anna? Go tell people. They need to know. Well, our last category is actually Joseph and Mary together. We're going to look at them together. And uh, the thing about them is very interesting. It, they actually walked alone for a while. Let's pick up the story in verse number 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And it says that they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. Yeah, I imagine they didn't understand. I imagine they didn't understand. Because now, think about it. Joseph and Mary have had this child 
young boy now growing, 12 years old. They've had a life with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for 12 years. And for 12 years, they've been going through the motions and they've been going back and forth to the temple and they've been doing whatever the law of Moses required and wherever they went, Jesus was with them. They were used to it. And just from a human perspective, think about it. After years of living with Jesus Christ and carrying out your religious duty, if you will, going back and forth to the temple every year for 12 years, I guess it's fair to say you can fall into the trap of growing accustomed to his presence and therefore you risk the indifference to the majesty of who he really is. That's what happened to Joseph and Mary. Think about it. They lost Jesus. They lost track of him. They lost track of where he was. And we can giggle and we can chuckle, but this is a sad reality, y'all. They didn't recognize it. They were together. Now, they weren't walking with Jesus, at least for those three days. They walked alone. Now, don't, don't be confused. They walked together with a company of other people who were believing people, good, moral, religious, believing, temple-worshiping Jews. They walked together with those people. But somehow, they lost track of Jesus. They lost track of Jesus. It says that they traveled a day's journey. That means as far as their feet would take them in a day. Before they even noticed I thought he was with you. I thought he was with Aunt, Aunt Sally. I thought, I don't know. By the time they double back to find him, three days have passed. Hey, Christian. You ever felt like that? You ever live your life walking down the path, you're together with other believers, you're doing what you always do? But actually... You've lost track of Jesus a long time ago. You're not sure where he is. You're not sure what happened. You're not sure where it got off track. You just know that you've been hanging with good people, but the Lord's not here. You ever feel that way? You're doing church stuff? But it seems like it's just been a long time since you really knew that Jesus was right there by your side. You know what you need to do to, to get that right? You know what you need to do to get that taken care of? You need to do what they did. You need to go back. That's what you need to do. You need to go back. The Bible word for that is repentance. You need to go back to the last place you knew you left him. You need to go back to the place you knew where you used to be when you were together. For some of you, you got to go back a ways. Some of you got to go back a ways. All we have recorded is three days here, but it's representative of our lives. We get busy doing what we do, and we lose track of Jesus. We grow accustomed to having him around. You know where they found him? They found him in the temple, interacting with others. Oh, yeah, around the scriptures. Can I just tell you, 
This isn't deep. You know where you're going to find him again if you've kind of lost track of him? Come on back to the temple and interact with others around the scriptures. You'll find him again. You'll find him again. Same place. Now, we dive into this story a little bit, and I mean, just put yourself in the, in the situation. I, I like to read the Bible that way. Mary is ticked. She's ticked. Uh, you know, I'm sorry if your religious tradition says that she was forever sinless. That's actually not true. She's hacked. She's cheesed, man. She's like, why hast thou dealt with us thus? I mean, when you read it that way, it just sounds very noble. She's just like, what? She's mad. And she sets, now think about this for a second. She sets off to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> you guys ever... You guys ever get mad at the Lord? When she does that, though, here's, here's what we see. And, and actually, it's, it's almost endearing because she's no different than any of the rest of us. When she does that, you know what? She just reveals that she's human. She reveals her carnality in this particular moment. But she reveals something much deeper, and I, I have to show this to you because in her carnality and in her fleshly emotion, she reveals a deep doctrinal error that makes me think they've probably been walking around without really paying attention to Jesus longer than three days. It says in verse 48, please pay attention to the words. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, the part that makes me convinced she's ticked, why hast thou thus dealt with us? What are you thinking? And she goes on to say this, Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Don't read past that too quick. Mary calls Joseph Jesus' father. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but that's wrong. I don't know if you recognize that or not, but that's actually not correct. And, and I really don't, this is not the subject of the day, but I, I feel it upon me that I have to at least point out to you, if you happen to be reading any other English Bible than the one we read, you'll find that in many places it will refer to Joseph as Jesus' father, when it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking. But not in this Bible you won't. Because in this Bible you can go back to verse 33, where it says, And Joseph and his mother... Very specifically, the Holy Spirit differentiates. There's Joseph and there's his mother. Marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Again in verse 43, when they had fulfilled the days, this is just the Holy Spirit's narrative. As they returned to the, the child, Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother, see how the Holy Spirit references it? Knew not of it. Then you go down further and you might say, well, in verse 48 it says, Thy father and I, yeah, but the Holy Spirit's just quoting Mary. And Mary's carnal. Thy father, and you say, oh man, Jeff, you're so picky, you're always banging that drum. I'm just, come on, man, really? That picky, really? Okay, I get it. I, I can fall trapped to that, I get it. But apparently, let's be honest, apparently it was important enough 
for Jesus Christ himself to correct. And apparently it was important enough for the Holy Spirit of God to record for us in the annals of eternity in the scriptures where heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. Because he answers in verse 49, And he said unto them, Joseph and Mary, How is it that ye sought me? In other words, how did you ever lose me? <laughs> and where did you go to try and find me? Wist ye not, Old English, don't you know, that I must be about, don't miss it, my father's business. You're accusing me about making Joseph mad as though he's my father? No, 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 no. I am all about my father's business. My father is God the father, and his business is in the temple. What about you, Christian? You want to walk with Jesus? You want personal fellowship with him? You're going to have to be about the Father's business too. That's what you're going to have to be. Go back to the temple in the New Testament context. We make the parallel to the church. Get back into the Word of God regularly and interact with others about that. If you're visiting for the first time, if you live in our area and this is the first time or one of the first few times you've come to visit us here at First Baptist. Man, we'd love to see you next week. We'd love to see you the following weeks. We'd love to see you in here regularly interacting with the Lord through His Word. But we have seen here today three responses to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And with that, there's three questions for you, and we'll pray and we'll be done. Are you saved? Do you know that you know that you have eternal life? And if the answer to that question is no, you can do that now. And if the answer to that question is yes, then my next question is, are you telling others about it? And if the answer to that question is yes, praise the Lord for you. But if the answer to that question is no, then you're kind of like Joseph and Mary, and you've kind of lost track of Jesus. And what you need to do is you need to turn back around oh yeah repent and you need to go back to the last place you remember having fellowship with him and you're going to find that that place is going to be centered around god's people and god's house and god's word that's where you're going to find him because that's where he is that's where he is this christmas this invitation is extended to each and every one of you wherever you may be whatever situation you may find yourself. And can I just encourage you, if the Lord has spoken to your heart today, that you would respond today because, well, there's no guarantee that you'll get another day. You are not promised that you absolutely will get another day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, we just want to ask that you would work in the hearts and the lives of our friends that are here today. I, I do pray, God, for anybody who's here who would say they're not sure if they're saved, but they want to be. Let me just speak to the audience. If you just keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed, let me, I just want to look around myself. Nobody else is looking around. I want to ask you a question. If you're here and you say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ right now. I just want to pray for you. Nobody's going to bug you. Nobody's going to come to you. I promise you, we don't do that here. 
I just want to pray for you. And if you'd say, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be, would you just be willing to hold your hand up high so I can see it? Anybody at all, just hold your hand up high. There's several hands down front. Anybody upstairs? Just hold your hand up high. I just want to, man, I want to nail this thing. I want to get it right finally. Amen, I can see it. You put your hand back down. God bless you, I can see it. Anybody else? Pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. Several people. Lord Jesus, I pray for these people. I, I pray, God, that they in their hearts would cry out to you. It's not my words that save them. They've got to mean it. But if they would just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've made a mess of my life. I, I want this eternal life. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart and my life. I personally receive you and the gift of eternal life. Starting today, immediately, I will surrender all to you. Be the Lord of my life. And I thank you for doing all that in Jesus' name. Well, there's a lot of people here who know they've made that decision. And maybe not everybody's an evangelist. Maybe not everybody's taking it seriously and talking to other people. And Lord, I, I just pray that if you've spoken to my heart and somebody else's heart about being more vocal, being excited once again, man, that we would repent of our complacency and we would get on fire for you again. And, and Lord, for others who would say that Man, that, that's been me. I've not been serious-minded enough. I've lost track of Jesus. I've been walking this religious life, but feeling empty. Man, we just need to get back to the place where we lost you. We need to get back to the place where, man, you are. And it's right here in the midst of your people and your word. I pray, Lord that we would experience revival in our midst. People would be saved, people would get right, and we would go out and tell people with enthusiasm about the great things you have done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. you remain seated.